Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a moment. It happens every single Sunday without fail. It doesn't matter what the context is or what songs we've been singing or even what scripture is read. It happens the moment before I walk up here to the pulpit. It's a brief moment, and it's silent, and it's a very eerie silence. Now, perhaps it sounds different to me than it does to all of you. Your experience of this strange silence might be born out of discomfort or awkwardness. For me, that silence is nothing but fear. I don't like having a pulpit with a see-through part here. It means you all can see my legs shaking when I get nervous before I preach. Now, my legs might not shake, but let me assure you, I get nervous in that silence every week without fail. It's true. There's a tension. There's silence. And for me, in that moment, there's hope. Because for people like you and me, even for but a moment, we hope in that strange silence that this time, finally this time, we'll get an answer to our question. Is it true? Is it true? Now, most of the time, sadly, that hoped for question isn't even addressed. And if it is addressed, it's done so only indirectly. There's an assumption that just by being here, we all assume that all of it is true. But that's not right. I think that we're all here, the tall, the small, the first, the last, the believers, half-believers, unbelievers. We're all here because we want that question to be answered. Is it true? Today, as I already said, is the second Sunday of Eastertide. stretches all the way up to Pentecost, the first Sunday of June. It's the great 50 days. Every Sunday is a little Easter, in particular during Eastertide, and we re-celebrate the most amazing thing that has taken place in the history of the cosmos. And let me tell you, here on the second Sunday of Easter, you all are a special bunch of people. <laughs> a real special bunch of people. Because you're here. There's something remarkable about the second Sunday of Easter. You're all here because you know that following the Lord is about more than just the big and special occasions. You're clued in to what happens behind the curtain of the cosmos. You've experienced the Lord in such a way that you can't imagine being anywhere or doing anything else than where you are right now. But even as people of the second Sunday of Easter, we must confess that though we are Easter people, we know that the promises of Easter are not yet fully realized. All you need to do is turn on your television for five minutes at night. Or if you're like me, doom scroll through Twitter for one minute to be reminded that not all is as it should be. I myself, riding the incredible wave of Palm Sunday two weeks ago, we were all here, we were singing our hosannas, we were waving our palm branches back and forth, it was incredible. And then on Monday morning, Monday of Holy Week, I was deeply grieved to receive a phone call from a family letting me know that my oldest friend in the world had decided to take his own life the night before. So we have Holy Week here at the church, and I'm trying to navigate what it's going to mean to, to go back for the service. And then I was asked to speak during the service. So Thursday, Monday, Thursday, we're down in Memorial Hall. We're singing some good old gospel tunes. We're sharing the body and the blood of our Lord together. And then my family and I, we had to get in the car. And we had to drive to Alexandria so I could speak for my friend's service of death and resurrection. 
Soon it was over, got in the car, had to drive back, got stuck in traffic, pulled in five minutes before our Good Friday service started in our parking lot. I was wearing running shorts and a t-shirt, and I just threw my robe over top and came in for worship. Not all is as it should be. And then we had Easter Sunday. One week ago today, it was remarkable. First sunrise service in 100 years. The First Life Band had the whole congregation clapping in worship. All of our children were standing right here. They were shaking their shakers and singing about Mary told the good news. Deborah, we don't need to hear that song for a whole year. We've been hearing it in my house every day for months. And we, we counted. Do you know last Sunday we had more than 300 people come to our church? More than 300 people for Easter. Now, I'm no mathematician. I don't see 300 today. <laughs> Why does that happen? Why are there those who only darken the doors of a church twice a year? There is much to be made of the so-called creasters. That's what I call them, the C&E crowd, those who only attend church on Christmas Eve and Easter. Perhaps they come because of familial obligation or guilt or tradition. And there's a hope, even if it pains me to admit, that one year there will be just as many people in church the Sunday after Easter as there are in church on Easter. But the longer I do this, the more I understand that there's a reason the church swells at Christmas Eve and Easter. And it's because those who don't normally attend know that they have a better than good chance of hearing nothing but good news when they come to church. The rest of the Sundays of the year, I don't know, sometimes the good news sounds like bad news. But not on Christmas and not on Easter. It is good news. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Christ the Lord is risen today, alleluia. You know what we sing on the other Sundays of the year? Who was denied thee? I crucified thee. That don't sound like good news. But we're here on the second Sunday of Easter. And we know that we're still living in the light of the resurrection. We've got it in our songs, in our sermons, sacraments. But it's for people who feel like we're on our own road to Emmaus. We know something has happened. Something has changed. But life beckons us elsewhere. Is it true? Well, John seems to think it's true. John the Revelator. I don't know what you know about John of Patmos and his epistle of the Revelation. It is perhaps the most misunderstood book in the entirety of the Bible, and yet perhaps the most important it is like any good concluding chapter of any good book. It ties everything together, but to drop in at the very end without knowing the beginning and the middle, it's a recipe for disaster. There are a lot of wild bits in this book, some of which we're going to encounter between now and the beginning of June. But as G.K. Chesterton once said, John, John saw many strange monsters in his vision, but he never saw a creature so wild as those who dare to preach it. John, whoever John was, writes from prison. And he writes for a people who are living in the in-between. They are stuck squarely between the already and the not yet. They are planted in time before the end time. They're people just like us. Easter people living in the light of the resurrection, and yet they know not all is as it should be. But oddly enough, even with its bizarre images and its confounding cassations, Revelation it is a journey, it is an odyssey of encouragement. It tells us who we are, it tells us who God is, and it tells us what in the world is going on in the world. To put it very simply, Revelation tells us the truth. It reveals to us the Lord. 
And John begins rather abruptly here at the beginning of his letter, his decisive declaration. Jesus is Lord and King of the cosmos. He was, he is, and he will be. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, John says. He is the one who remains steadfast even when we don't. He points to the real things that matter in this life. He is committed to the kingdom no matter what. John says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He is the one who, by death and resurrection, makes possible an impossibility that in our deaths we are raised to a new life. And then at the end of the trifecta, John says, Jesus Christ is ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the one in charge. I wonder if we actually believe that to be true, that Jesus Christ is the king of all the kings, that he is in charge. Have you all ever watched C-SPAN before? Have you ever seen what happens in Congress? It doesn't look like Jesus is in charge of all that. I, mean, I think we can all be on board with, John, with what John says. It's not too difficult to affirm that Jesus is faithful, even that Jesus is risen. You know, if it looks like good news and it sounds like good news, but Jesus being in charge of all the rulers of the earth? It's like a church meeting I went to years ago, certainly never something that would ever happen at Raleigh Court United Methodist Church, where we gathered for an important conversation, a debate, we had to make a decision. Voices were raised, accusations were made, words were lobbed at one another, and when finally it came time for the end of our time together with our fists clenched, no wiser than we were when we started, someone had the gall to say, maybe we should end our time in prayer. I thought, are you out of your mind? Why in the world would we want to pray right now? We didn't behave like God was in the room the last hour. You want to invite him in now? That's a bad idea. You see, when Jesus is in charge, everything else changes. It doesn't mean it's going to get better, but it means it changes. Have you read the stuff this guy got up to in the backwater towns of Galilee? I don't know if we want Jesus to be in charge. From the very beginning, he, he says everyone's going to reject him. All the people in power. I mean, that's strike one. He has the gall to call all kinds of people who have no business being in the kingdom business. I mean, fishermen for disciples, tax collectors for apostles. What's next? Are we going to let bankers be in charge of Sunday school? Do we want lawyers on the missions committee? I don't know. Jesus is risky. He's foolish. He spends all of his time with the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. Jesus should know better. That if we want to make the world a better place, we need someone who's going to spend time with the first, the best, the found, the big, the lively. What kind of leader forgives his betrayers? What kind of ruler leaves 99 behind to find the one who is lost? What kind of king hosts a banquet and invites everybody to attend? Oh, I don't know. Jesus. John reminds us across all these centuries through the power of words that Jesus is in charge. That in his infinite and confounding wisdom, that Jesus loves us. That Jesus has freed us from even our worst mistakes. That he has made us to be a new people who will always feel like we're strangers living in a strange land. And to be clear, just because Jesus is in charge, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is in control. If God in Christ is the author of every war, every cancer diagnosis, every car crash... If that's what God is up to, then God is not worthy of our worship. But God is in charge through Christ. He is the one we follow. He has gone on ahead of us to Galilee, and we are now on the road to follow the Lord who is the way and the truth and the life.
It is to Jesus, John says, that we owe our allegiance because he does for us what we cannot and will not do for ourselves. He is the one who makes a way where there is no way. He himself is Easter. The key, according to the Revelator, the important truth that will come up again and again in his letter is that it's all up to Jesus. We can absolutely respond to what Jesus has done. We can even take up our crosses to follow, but he's the one in charge. He's the one we follow. He gets all the good verbs. He is, to use John's language, Alpha and Omega. He is the A and the Z and all the letters in between. Jesus came to raise the dead. Not to reward the rewardable or improve the improvable or to correct the correctable. He simply came to be the resurrection and life for people like you and me. The good, the bad, the beautiful, and even the ugly. The message of revelation of the one who is, of the one who was, the one who is to come, is that it isn't over. Easter is still happening. Until all of us feast at the supper of the Lamb that goes on without end, we will be living in the in-between, the place where, depending on the day, we can mourn or we can dance, we can cry or we can laugh. We are a people in-between. So every Easter we make the same declaration. We say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And that's true, but it's a little deceptive because we have more to say. He is risen, he is risen indeed, and he is in charge. So maybe we should follow. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.